just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things. The ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good evening and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Carol Morgan. Carol, you and I are both big admirers of today's guest, someone you and I have uh, been reading and listening and learning for many years now, and it's a real pleasure to have him on the show. We're going to talk about two very recent books of his. Uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Me too. I always love talking about social media. You know that. All right. Well, let's get to it. Our guest is no stranger to anyone. Say hello to Guy Kawasaki, best-selling author, speaker, chief evangelist of so many cool organizations I can't even begin to tell you, and also the world's most busiest person. So, Guy, <laughs> welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me back. Well, it's great to have you. Thanks for carving out some time. Uh, took us about a month, month and a half to get all of our schedules aligned, so really grateful yeah. for your time. So, Guy, I have a feeling anyone listening to this show is probably familiar with you, but just in case, real quick 10,000-foot view, what, who is Guy Kawasaki? Yeah, so Guy Kawasaki is currently the chief evangelist of Canva. Canva is a graphics design tool to help people make really great graphics, fast, free, and easy. I am also on the board of trustees of Wikimedia, which is the parent organization of Wikipedia. And finally, I am an executive fellow at the Haas School of Business. Some people may have heard of my prior effort as the evangelist and chief evangelist of a fairly well-known company in Cupertino called Apple. Never heard of it. All right. <laughs> well, let's get to it. So we're going to lead off with uh, what we're going to do, audience, is uh, we're going to talk about two of Guy's recent books. We're going to talk about the art of social media, and we're going to talk about the art of the start 2.0. So first segment, we're going to talk about the art of social media, power tips for power users. Guy, let me lead off with this uh, question that I ask all my guests who write books about, eh, let's uh, how should we say, very common subjects. Uh, did the world really need another book on social media? Why did you have to write this? The world really needed a book about social media because there have been many, many blog posts that each handle sort of one small aspect of social media, and no one's really put it together. And no one also focuses on using social media as a marketing platform. So this is not about being more popular with your classmates, friends, and relatives. This is commercial. This is promotional. We make no bones about it. This is how to use social media as a weapon. Yeah, the world did need another social media book. I actually think the book is really good from several aspects. One is that it really takes the whole concept of social media up to a much higher playing field and does talk about the overall strategy and, you know, not just the nitty gritty of how to set up the sites and how to use them, but why and who you might want to talk to and how to look at it all from a big picture. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> so share with our audience you know, some of the key points on how to get the most bang for your time, effort, and money with social media. Well, several things. First, the goal of anything you post should be that it's so good that not only do your followers read it and enjoy it, they will also reshare it. 
So this is a very good test. You know, it's one thing to like something. It's another to like it so much you're willing to share it to your friends and followers, risking your reputation. So that's number one. Uh, concept number two is that I think that if you're going to use social media as a marketing platform, you have to earn the right to promote. And the way you earn the right to promote is to provide value. And the way you provide value is to create or curate content that people would not have found before. So if you do this service, if you provide this value, then you can infrequently promote your product, your service, your book, your company, whatever it is. A tactical tip is that every post should have a picture or a video attached to it, embedded in it, because uh, it's a very busy world in social media. So a picture or a video makes you stand out. And another tip is that I think people err on the side of not posting enough as opposed to posting too much. And you are talking to someone with an extreme belief in this because if you counted all my tweets and posts and everything every day, it's probably a hundred for me. I probably do a hundred things a day. And that's about 99 more than many experts think is optimal. <laughs> so, <laughs> Guy, let me add the segue to a, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So let me stipulate that at the forefront here, that social media is in fact a marketing platform and should be. And that's certainly a key way that I leverage it myself. But what do you say to the critic who says, whoa, 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 look, this isn't just about a one-way promotional piece. There has to be some engagement here, some communication, some dialogue. How do you balance that? Well, in a sense, I've already addressed that because I'm saying that in order for you to use social media optimally, as a marketing platform, you have to provide value. So the way you provide value is not by promoting yourself. Many people won't consider that a valuable thing. So you have to earn that right. It's just like NPR. The reason why NPR can get away with the incredible pledge drive is because they provide such great content. Imagine if they had a pledge drive every day. So yeah, people think that, well, if I'm going to use it as a marketing platform, then I have to be opaque. I have to be disreputable, I have to be closed, you know, all the bad words. But in fact, to really make it work, you have to be open and transparent and adding value. So I have a follow-up question to that. You know, we work a lot with home builders in my space. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'll see, you know, builders out there promoting everything but their own stuff. Because that would be their interpretation of what you just said, add value. So you'll go to their Facebook page and maybe the last 10 posts were some state of the economy that was in a local newspaper that they've shared and mm -hmm. better homes and gardens, flower garden. But, you know, there's mm -hmm. nothing on their page that, in my opinion, gives anyone any reason to go to their page if they're following them to learn about that business. So how do you balance that? Or can you clarify for the audience kind of maybe a better sure, example sure. of what someone would do? Because I think that's sure. what they hear when you make that statement. You know what? If I had to pick between someone who doesn't promote enough and someone who promotes too much, guess which one I would pick? I mean, I would rather convince someone who's never promoting and only adding value to promote every once in a while than to try to convince someone who's promoting all the time to now add value. So they should think of social media as a marketing platform. And hallelujah, they're already you know, adding value 100% of the time. But you know, at some point, social media takes some effort and it's got to pay for itself. So you know, squeeze the trigger. I'm not saying it should be 50% of the time. I think it should be about 5 to 10% of the time. But 5 or 10% of the time, you should promote your services, uh, whatever you do. 
Guy, you suggest a bottom-up strategy with this. Explain to the audience what you mean by that and why. I propose bottom-up strategies in many places. So which one specifically are you Well, just a general, a general framework. So someone hears that and says, oh, wait, wait, what does he mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is, again, I'm going to sound repetitive already, but you know, it is about adding value. So let's take this home builder, for example. You already said that, you know, so Better Homes and Garden runs a story about, you know, now's the time to plant your vegetables for next season, right? Or some magazine runs a thing about this is how to winterize your home. Or somebody else, uh, Money Magazine runs a story about this is the consequences of the new tax code. So all of this is good for a homeowner, you know, all this kind of stuff. But then every once in a while, you know, run something that is completely pertinent to your business that can act as referrals. Now, winterizing your home may be one of those kind of stories, but you know, the, the top 10 remodeling ideas from house, you know, this kind of stuff, it's okay. I mean, there may be a small number of people on the internet who have such an entitlement syndrome problem that they believe that unless you post something perfect for them at the perfect time, at the perfect length, they're going to be upset. And I will tell you that those kind of people, you need to learn to ignore them. Because (laughs) if you run your business trying to not piss off anybody using social media, you will fail. That's just take that as a given. And so I truly believe if you're not upsetting some people on social media, you're not using it right. That's interesting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So let's talk about key strategies. Once you've built your foundation, what comes next? And can you kind of walk us through, you know, the different stages to, uh, you know, getting everything set up and out there? Well, pretty much uh, social media is not rocket science, right? It's more hard work than anything else. But just, you know, put yourself in the mindset of if I were following a general contractor or if I were following an interior designer or a restaurant or a clothing store, what kind of stuff would I be interested in? And then go find that stuff and post. And, you know, that's it. Now you don't have to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think everyone should read the book. It's a good book. So thank you. (laughs) But but Guy, the book talks about amassing digital assets and optimizing your profiles and attracting followers and how to integrate social media with your blogging. I mean, these are all critical subjects. We could talk for a half an hour on each of those. I don't know if there's anything that's more important than the other. They all seem to be as part of building this foundation, as you suggest. I worry about attracting followers because, you know, no one's going to, most people out here are not going to amass Guy Kawasaki kind of numbers in terms of followers, but that's not the point. And I, no. when I first got into Twitter years ago, I thought I have to get a hundred thousand or I'm I'm worthless. And now I realized, no, it's not about that. It's about having the right audience that works for you. Talk about some of those issues, amassing digital assets, yeah. optimizing profiles, followers, and all that. Yeah. So if you were a small business, first of all, I would probably focus on Facebook if I were a small business, primarily because for free you can geo-target your posts, right? So if you're a restaurant and your market is draw a circle around your restaurant of 25 miles, you can geo-target people who live close to you for your posts. And you can't do that with any other social media service. So it starts like that. And I'll give you a good example. In Los Angeles, there is a food truck company called Kogi Barbecue, K-O-G-I. And I think they have you know, like 100,000 followers or something like that on Twitter. 
And they say, okay, so our truck will be at the corner of, you know, Sepulveda and, I don't know, Wilshire. I don't, I'm not too sure those streets intersect in L.A., but, you know, you get the idea. And they show up, and there's 50, 100 people waiting to buy their barbecue. So can it get smaller than that? I mean, this is a street food vendor who's tweeting out to a few thousand, well, not a few thousand because they're in L.A., but, you know, 100,000 people, and a few hundred show up to buy barbecue. I mean... That's a very good example. So you don't need to reach the person in Croatia because the person in Croatia is not going to be in L.A. to buy your barbecue, you know, in three hours. Although, you know, someday the Croatian may be visiting L.A. and say, wow, I've always wanted to try this barbecue. I've been reading about it for months. Uh, so that's a good model. It's a great model. And it kind of leads to the next question is, and you, and you just gave an example of if you had to choose one network that you're a small business, you suggested Facebook because of the geotargeting. But that's a common issue that I see a lot of people struggle with is, all right, do I have a presence on every conceivable network that exists or should I focus on one or two or three? How do you address that issue? It depends on the business, obviously, but I think that people should take Facebook as a baseline. Uh, hard to imagine that you should not be on Facebook. And then, you know, if you're a fashion business, think of Instagram and Pinterest. If you are a headhunter or a professional services organization, then go to LinkedIn. You know, there is some thinking involved here, but it's, you know, that, that's, that should take you about 15 minutes, you know? I mean, we're not Guy, if thinking is involved, you ruled out half of the planet. Well, so then they should just buy the book and listen to it. <laughs> so, Carol, I understand we have something in the Carol Morgan mailbag. What have you got for us? Yeah, it's actually kind of a expansion on the Facebook question. So I have a client that's in the construction product space. He sells kitchen and bath products in uh, two markets in Ohio, as well as nationwide. And his question is, you know, if you could just focus on one social media platform, which one and why? And you told us that. But then he goes on to ask, how would this vary between a B2B-focused company and a B2C-focused company? I think at some level, there's always a human making a decision. And so I think that the line between B2C and B2B is getting fuzzier and fuzzier. And this is a trend that I think is irreversible because if you think about it, you know, if, if you went back 10 years ago, there were many conversations where people said, you know, I'm a consumer facing business. I sell T-shirts, I sell TVs, I sell books, DVDs, you know, whatever, right? So I'm B2C. I understand why I should have a website. But my sister, my brother runs a B2B site and he sells nuts and bolts to manufacturers or he sells nylon cord. You know, he's like nylonCord.com. And all he ever does is sell to distributors and boating supply stores and, you know, whatever, right? So he's, he's or she is pure B2B. Why would he or she need a website? They have a fax machine. People fax in their orders, they rip off the fax, they place the orders, and out goes, you know, 200 feet of twine. Well, would we be having that conversation today? Would we be telling that person, no, you know, nylonCore.com doesn't need a website. Just stick with your fax machine. <laughs> um, I, I don't think so. And so we're going to have this discussion about social media because, you know, nylonCore.com, there's one off the top of my head example is, all right, so now there's an entire maker revolution, right? Where people are do-it-yourself making stuff. And so, you know, maybe nylonCore.com wants to reach the maker revolution. And now is that B2B or B2C? I mean, it, at some level, if a person is making a purchase decision, I think that you should use social media. Now, at an extreme, 
let's say that you know you are responsible for the marketing of General Electric jet engines. Okay, and there's only I don't know I don't how many airlines there are in the world. Five hundred. So there's only five hundred airlines, and there's like ten aircraft manufacturers. So I don't there's like you know six hundred people in the world you need to reach. Do you need social media? GE jet engines? Probably not. On the other hand, you know, does GE jet engines have a website? I bet you they do. I bet you they do. And you know, are they are they buying keyword searches so that you know, in case Trixie or Biff says, "Huh, today I think I'll buy a jet engine. Why don't I type in <laughs> jet engine in Google and see what I come up with?" Yeah, such an interesting uh, debate. You know, one question we get a lot, and it still leaves me shaking my head. Is you know, I think. <laughs> I think, and obviously you think, the businesses should have a website. But now that we're in this age of social media, I actually get asked every now and then, oh, you know, do I really still need a website or can't I just update my Facebook page? Ah, that's a tricky question. You know, I used to believe that, believe it or not. For years, I didn't blog and I didn't, you know, do much with my website. But I have come to believe that one of the beauties of a website and a blog is that you truly do control that, right? It's not at the whim of, depending on what side of the bed Mark Zuckerberg got up or how the PhDs at Google changed their algorithm. You know, you know that your blog post has those pictures and you know that your website is your brochure wear and it's all good. I think there is an argument to be said that you, know, you can't just depend on social media for commerce, for brand building and awareness and all that. Hallelujah. But for commerce, like I have a speaking career, right? So could I wipe out GuyKawasaki.com and, you know, just have what? Something in the sidebar of my Facebook page in case you want to hire a guy, click here. Hard to imagine that that would be optimal. Yeah, well, you know, and you know, and I know part of the challenge with all these social media sites is people can connect and contact with you there, but you could have a hundred thousand fans on your Facebook page. And unless they choose to engage with you, You've really got no method outside of Facebook reaching out to them. Well, even that is not quite true because let's say you have 100,000 fans on Facebook, so you think you're reaching everybody. But, <laughs> right. but really, you know, Facebook is reaching five or 10,000 of those people depending on some magical formula about right. who they think you are relevant to. So, you know, you think you've got 100,000 people potentially reading your stuff, but really it's 5,000. Well, that's kind of a problem too, right? Gosh, I hate to break off the conversation on the art of social media, but we have to go to break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about another book Guy just put out, The Art of the Start 2.0. Guy Kawasaki, Carol, and I will return after this quick break. We'll be right back. Your marketing tactics shouldn't be silos. Silos are for cows. Build a marketing foundation that includes three main components working together, your brand, website, and blog. The tactics you use, social media, public relations, SEO, advertising, etc., should all interconnect and relate to your foundation. They aren't silos off by themselves in the field. When you are ready to create an integrated marketing strategy, contact Marketing Relevance to take your company to the next level. That's marketingrelevance.com or call 770-383-3360. All right, Carol and I back with Guy Kawasaki. Now, we talked about the art of social media in the top half of the show 
In this segment, we're going to talk about another great book, The Art of the Start 2.0, The Time-Tested Battle-Hardened Guide for Anyone Starting Anything. Now, Carol, The Art of the Start is one of my favorite books. I read that a long, long time ago. I was really excited to hear that 2.0 was coming out. So, Guy, why did you have to put out 2.0 of this great book? Because 1.0 was 10 years ago, and a, a few things have happened in the last 10 years. Just a few. Yeah, such <laughs> as social media, such as crowdfunding, crowdsourcing. The Basically, every tool is free or cheap now. Basically, you don't have to buy infrastructure because there's Amazon and there's IBM and Rackspace and you know GoDaddy and you know, who buys a server anymore? So these are fundamental changes in how the world works. Gosh, that's so true. You just think back of even you know, the last 10 or 15 years in business. And I guess in a prior segment, we were talking about the fax machine. I mean, who sends faxes anymore? Yeah. You know, you <laughs> sign it, you can't, and you send it. So, yeah. Yeah. So I know you've already mentioned some of the you know new features of the 2.0 book, uh, you know, being social media, crowdfunding, and cloud computing. What are some of the other, you know, new features that and takeaways that people are going to read about? Well, one major thing is, and believe it or not, this book recommends that you don't write a business plan. Wow. I just yeah, I don't think it's appropriate <laughs> anymore. The most you have to do is a pitch. And most VCs are not looking to read a business plan anymore. So what do you do instead, Guy? I mean, because that's going to blow some people away because that's, yeah. that's what their MBA told them they had to do. I mean, what do yeah. you do instead? What do you mean all you have to you, do now is pitch? You make a 10-slide pitch that covers roughly the same topics in phrases, and that's it. You may do a forecast, but the forecast is probably no more than three years out. And right. you know, you're certainly not cranking it down to the level of, well, in, in year four, month six, I'm going to spend... $65.85 on pencils. Because mm -hmm. let's face it, you have no idea what's going to happen in year six. You have no idea what's going to happen in six months. And so we all know you're just making it up. So why waste everybody's time? At some level, you're selling people on the anticipation of great results. And I've never seen anybody say, you know, you have the most sales in your Excel spreadsheet. I think you'll do well. <laughs> <laughs> Guy, let me just challenge you on that. You said you don't really need to think more than three years out. I just read Peter Thiel's book, and he yeah. says you need to be thinking generations ahead. Uh, is your business going to be around in 25 years? I know you don't say not to think about the future. That's not exactly what you're saying. But the context with which you're saying think three years ahead is, is I think, probably a different thing than Peter Thiel's yeah. talking about. Yeah. But it helps the audience understand what you mean versus what Peter means. Well, Peter Thiel is talking about, you know, what are the sort of mega trends that's going to change the world? And so let's take something like 3D printing, right? So with 3D printing, thinking three years out, you'd have to say, wow, if you're a dental lab, you better really be worried about 3D printing because it's very possible that in three years, every dentist is going to have a printer and they're going to submit a design and 30 minutes later, you're going to have a crown. Right? You're not going to send it to a lab. You're not going to wait three weeks. I think that is coming, or maybe it's even here. So that's my kind of time frame. Now, Peter Thiel would say, well, in 25 years, there won't be any more ships traveling on the ocean between China and America because there'll be 3D printers in homes and there'll be 3D printers at FedEx, Kinko's, and all that. So, you know, if you need a part for your carburetor, well, there won't be carburetor anymore. There'll be 
wow, there'll be electric cars. Maybe they won't even be cars. Maybe we'll just transport ourselves by thinking. <laughs> so in the world 25 years from now, should you invest in a shipping company today? Hmm, probably not, right? Because they won't be shipping anything. And we should think that China's going to go into the toilet because they're the low-cost producer when they're making thousands of widgets, putting them in a big boat and shipping them 5,000 miles. But what happens when people are printing on demand? Hmm, maybe we don't need cheap Chinese labor anymore. I think that's the kind of thinking he's doing, but I can't wrap my mind around that kind of stuff. I just, I'm worried about the dental implant. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really futuristic. So, wow, if we don't need to ship anything, we don't need to build or buy anything anymore. Will we still need PR and advertising for our startups? I don't know. I'm going to be dead before this happens. <laughs> it's not my problem. <laughs> but isn't that something you contend in the book that you don't really need PR and advertising anymore? I mean, walk us through that. Yeah, I would say that that is probably closer to the truth than most people want to hear. Now, I would say that social media and PR are opposite sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. But advertising, I think the only kind of advertising that most startups need to do is Facebook promoted posts. Mm. And you know, so most of social media is free, right? And with Facebook, you can say, I want to promote this post to America. Okay, I'll take it as an example as an author. So I want to run a promotion in America for one of my books where, I don't know, let's say it's, you know, buy one, get one free or something like that. But I can only do it in America because the rights are different in London or South America. And, you know, they're just not equipped to do this or for whatever reason, right? So in Facebook, I can promote a post of this offer. For Americans only, male, you know, of certain age, that's really powerful, right? I don't know how else, you know, a guy or a gal sitting at a desk could do something like that because you're not going to call up your agency and tell them to target that, right? Because you don't have an agency because you're just one guy at a desk. Right. So I would make the case that it's, it's not about advertising. It's more about social media and that. Yeah, merit is the new marketing because the key to social media as a marketing tool is you have to have a good product because social media cuts both ways violently. If it's great, it helps you. And if it's crap, it kills you. Absolutely true. You look at the change in marketing and PR and advertising, even social in the last three or four years. And, you know, just even citing Canva, a lot of companies don't necessarily need a full-time graphic designer anymore when their social media person can pull up Canva and, you know, create a little picture, you know, a graphic or you know, kind of an infographic or even a flyer to promote the product. And it's, you know, free. I could not have paid you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we use it all the time. I actually, I'm, and I'm probably going to get in trouble with Todd, I kind of have a follow-up question. How is Canva that we know today going to differ from the new business Canva that is yeah. online? Well, I can't really discuss features, <laughs> but let's just tell you some of the problems that we are sensitive to. So when an organization is using Canva or when an organization is designing graphics, let's just say that in a work group, you need workflow. So it's not just you booting your computer and going, right? So it's a team right. working on it and, and modifying it and commenting and revising it and all that. So there's a workflow challenge. Yep. Um, when a company is using it, they also have probably standardized on fonts. They've mm -hmm. standardized on a color palette. They've standardized on dimensions of graphics and all this kind of stuff. So in a perfect world, an enterprise-based Canva would address all these issues. Right. And there. <laughs> I love that. 
Well, yeah, we've definitely had that issue. We had this fantastic graphic that one of our social media experts created, and then she went on maternity leave. And <laughs> wanted us to, you know, recreate that same graphic while she was on maternity leave. And, mm-hmm. you know, it took some scrambling. I actually finally just texted her and said, hey, do you mind if we log into your Canva account? So, yeah, definitely <laughs> understand the uh, challenges there. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly this podcast made possible by Canva. Good Lord, guys. <laughs> hey, Guy, we've taken more of your time than we planned. I, I do want to wrap on one final important yeah. question with regards to our The Start 2.0 is, although there has been a fundamental change in a lot of things that impact startups or, or anyone starting anything, there are still, though, obviously some fundamentals that have not changed. I'd love for you to take a quick second and just walk through a couple of those. I'm thinking about startups being focused on the wrong priorities. I'm thinking about building a strong team, creating awesome products, facing down competition. Talk through some of the basics that have not changed from 1.0. Yeah, so the basics are that a company is in the business of creating products or services to make people happy. Now, this actually eliminates a lot of the initial efforts that entrepreneurs make. For example, you don't start a company in order to perfect PowerPoint skills, perfect Excel skills, or perfect Word skills, right? So the purpose of a company is not to become an expert in Microsoft Office. It's an expert in creating great products and services. So it starts with that. This is the you know, the concept called MVP, minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. Although I, I added two Vs to this. I think it should not only be viable, it should be valuable, that is important, and validating, that is, it validates your vision for how the world will change. So I think that's the most important concept, which is just get out there and start prototyping. And this is kind of a perfect storm in a positive sense because now you can get out there and start prototyping, whereas you might have needed you know, a million dollars before to do that now because tools are free and because social media is free and because servers are cheap and because teams are virtual, you don't need as much money to get your prototype out. Now, this is good news, bad news, right? The good news is, yeah, more people can do it. The bad news is, huh, more people can do it. But I think all things considered, I would much rather have it more of a meritocracy like this with lower barriers and everybody just going at each other than it be dependent on, you know, what school you went to, who was your classmate, and do you play golf at the right country clubs? Mm. Yep. Good stuff. Guy, we're out of time. Uh, Before we let you go, where is the best place for people to go to learn everything they can about Guy Kawasaki and where should they go to get their hands on these two great books? GuyKawasaki.com. Definitely for the first and for the latter. Any online bookstore, Apple, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, they have it all. So if you're an entrepreneur and you cannot find a way to buy this book, (laughs) you are not going to succeed as an entrepreneur. (laughs) I can tell you that right now. You can't even buy a book. You are not going to build a company. That is probably a very fair assessment. All right. Guy (laughs) Kawasaki, the best-selling author of The Art of Social Media, Power Tips for Power Users, and... The Art of the Start 2.0, the time-tested, battle-hardened guide for anyone starting anything. Guy, as always, my friend, real pleasure to spend some time with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Take care. All right. That wraps this conversation. On behalf of our guest, Guy Kawasaki, my co-host, Carol Morgan, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business.